Hello and welcome to the Philanthropy Australia podcast. I'm Nick Richardson. Our guest today is Kate Fuzio, Head of Innovation and Engagement at Justice Connect in Melbourne. Her work in building technological pathways for people who have hitherto been denied access to justice is at the heart of her recent recognition as the For Purpose and Social Enterprise Award winner in Victoria for the 2020 Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. Our discussion ranges across a whole spectrum of technological innovations that increase access to justice. So let's talk to begin with about the work that you've done that was recognised by Telstra, Businesswoman of the Year for, in the For Purpose section in Victoria. What do you see as central to that work and what it reflects in terms of who you are and what you're interested in? Yeah, that's an interesting and big question. First of all, it was really fantastic to get the award and the recognition. I feel quite strongly that in the not-for-profit sector, sometimes there is quite innovative work happening that doesn't get the same recognition as similar work happening in the for-profit or business sector where that work is generating significant income and that seems to get that work quite a lot of attention. I think it's really fantastic that Telstra explicitly acknowledges the work that's happening in the for-purpose sector alongside work that's happening in businesses in these awards. In terms of the work that has led to the award, it's primarily related to the time I've spent at Justice Connect, which is an Australian charity that provides legal services. I've been there for nearly eight years. So in that time, I have had a number of roles and the common thread between all those roles is I have been tasked with thinking about how do we take the legal services that we're providing to the community and scale them up using digital strategies. So I've worked across a range of programs at Justice Connect. Firstly, I worked with our not-for-profit law program, which is aimed at helping the 600,000 charities and not-for-profits in Australia understand the law and engage with the law efficiently. Uh, In that role, I was responsible for creating a website that was aiming to provide information to that sector at scale. So that website now has had over 1 million user sessions. Um, I haven't been working on it for some time, so that's definitely not all down to me. Um, no. But it, it definitely um, proved up that you can, with a modest investment, reach a lot of people using digital strategies. So after the success of that work, I was tasked with thinking about how this approach could apply in the services that we have with individuals and with more vulnerable people. And obviously that's a really different client cohort and there's actually a whole range of client cohorts there. And so the first thing that I decided to do with Justice Connect support was do some really rigorous research because we wanted to be making evidence-based decisions in our approaches Mm -hmm. rather than just basing it on gut. And it's interesting because When we started this research over four years ago, there was quite a lot of resistance in the sector. A lot of people said people don't look for help online, people don't use the internet, the only way to reach vulnerable people is face-to-face. And what our research showed is the picture is a lot more complex than that. Mm. 
There's other research in different industries that has had similar findings. So it's not helpful to think of people that need help as one giant cohort. There's obviously mm. lots of very different cohorts within that who all have very different behaviours and preferences. And so the research showed us that there's actually a lot of people, and to me this is not that surprising, who want to do things online because they're already making appointments online. They are reading their emails because their kids' schools are sending them emails every few days. Mm. They're actively online. It's integrated into their lives, even if it's just via a device in their pocket, even if they don't have a full computer set up at home. People are actively online in really large numbers. So there's a real opportunity to meet people where they are in those settings, as opposed to expecting that they'll walk in the front door of an organisation or pick up the phone and make that request for assistance. So out of all that research, we came up with a comprehensive program of work um, and it involved creating three key products that were going to address the findings of our research. So one of those products helps people to apply for legal help online with Justice Connect. This product provides instant feedback, so real-time feedback on eligibility. One of the big issues that people face when looking for legal help is there's a really fragmented service ecosystem and it's really hard to know, are you asking the right questions? Are you reaching the right service? Who's going to be able to help me? And the consumer experience is often involves lots of visits and lots of phone calls and lots of Google searching, often to end up not connecting with a service at all. So we're really trying to make that experience of looking for help easier and quicker for people so that they can understand is Justice Connect an option for them or not as quickly as possible. Now, obviously, there's still people who will call and that's fine. What we're trying to do is create a menu of ways that people can interact with mm -hmm. us so that we are providing those channels that are most convenient and most appropriate for those, that very big range of cohorts that we're dealing with at Justice Connect. So that's, we call it our intake tool and we launched that in 2018. How much of that diverse cohort are you now reaching through that that you might not have been able to reach before that product was available? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And it's to a certain extent, it's difficult to answer that question perfectly. But on average, Justice Connect was receiving by phone or in person around 8,000 requests for assistance per year that we were documenting in our case management system. So we weren't able to assist all of those, but that's the number that were hitting us. Mm -hmm. And since we've launched the intake tool, we now have more like 20,000 people interacting with us each year, making those requests for assistance. Now, again, not all of those are eligible. And so we have seen increases in our service provision numbers, but not at that level. So what that is telling us is there are people looking for help and because we have made ourselves easy to engage with online and because that intake system that we've built is quite straightforward, it's much less difficult now for people to do that initial exploratory phase of requesting assistance with us. So we've reduced those barriers and it means that as well for some people perhaps they think they're borderline and if they had to actually make a phone call during business hours, they were just not going to invest that time mm -hmm. in exploring mm -hmm. whether we could assist them. But because we've made it very convenient, we're now able to have those interactions with a much bigger group of people. So Kate, Google's support for this idea originally was pretty critical for it actually being advanced, wasn't it? 
That's right. So when I took on this broader role at Justice Connect, which was asking this question of how could we be using digital strategies here to help more people and to scale up our services within the same resource packet, we pitched to Google in 2016 a proposal as part of the Google Impact Challenge. And we were a finalist in that challenge, which meant we were awarded a quarter of a million dollars. And that funded this research phase that I've been speaking about. So it funded a year of research with all different cohorts, uh, not just clients and help seekers, but also our peers in the sector, law firms that we work with, social workers, we did a huge amount of research and then started to build up some product hypotheses about where we could have an impact, which is what led to the design of these three kind of cornerstone products. And we call this whole parcel of work our gateway project because it's essentially about making us easier to engage with and reducing these barriers around access to justice. So that funding from Google was absolutely critical. It meant that this work had a spotlight shined on it and it also meant that we were then able to engage with philanthropy and government in a way that I don't think we would otherwise have been able to. It legitimised the work and as I mentioned earlier there has been at that time around four years ago there was a level of scepticism around whether mm. online and digital strategies were going to add any value and so having Google's endorsement that this is research that matters, this is research that's important, there are some interesting ideas for us to be pursuing here, was incredibly valuable for us. And we then did go on to raise significant funding from Australian philanthropy and internationally as well. And I think that the Google funding played a very important role in that. Google clearly opened doors what did that actually do to the project itself, both in terms of being able to help its development, but also awareness of the project itself? The funding from Google really elevated this conversation, in my view. So we were certainly not the only people in Australia interested in this area, um, and definitely not the only people internationally. There were quite a few organisations in the United States who'd started doing similar research and started testing and trialling products and we were really standing on their shoulders in this work. Um, but until we had that Google endorsement, we were generally having a conversation that went along the lines of, we think there's something here that has really significant impact potential and there are some early examples of this work overseas that we think validate that it's worth exploring. But the fact that Google did an enormous amount of due diligence on our proposal and endorsed it and funded it, I think really added weight to those arguments for us. Whether we were speaking to the sector more broadly, whether we were speaking to those who were interested or open to funding the work, it, it played a really important role. If you're going to put this idea out there nowadays to philanthropy or government, would you still need that Google support at that kind of very foundation level? I suppose I'm asking, has the situation changed in the intervening years? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it has definitely shifted. And more than anything, I've noticed the biggest shift around COVID-19. So because a lot of face-to-face -face services have had to close in many cases, and a lot of people are housebound or have been, that meant that 
the service ecosystem shifted strongly towards an online setting. And so that has really shown that if you don't have an online presence, it's very hard for people to find you in this type of environment. And it's highly likely that what we're seeing with COVID is perhaps foreshadowing what the world might look like in a few years' time, where things are increasingly happening online, not because online offers you cheaper or inferior ways of providing services, but because it's actually easier to reach people in an online setting, especially when you're interested in reaching groups that are in rural and regional locations and certain types of people who find it really hard to engage with services during business hours, whether that's because they have caring responsibilities or they're at work. If people are trying to, as we all know, if you're trying to get a doctor's appointment, if you're trying to engage with a service and they're only available in business hours on weekdays and you work full time, it's actually really hard to engage with those services and it's really inconvenient. That experience isn't only the experience of uh, people with privilege. That experience is felt across whole ranges of population cohorts in Australia. We know that 9% of Australians are non-internet users. They're not connected to what the rest of us kind of understand. So there are obviously some accessibility and also some affordability issues around that. What are the risks for those people that they're getting isolated from the critical services that the rest of us can actually access? I think when you have a sophisticated conversation about this in a sector like the legal assistance sector, we're not saying it's digital only. What we're advocating for at Justice Connect is that we have a range of different ways of reaching people that are going to suit the needs of that person. So... The key thing that we're advocating is that we listen to what people want, that we follow human-centred design practices and that we tailor our services and we provide options so that we have a full menu of ways to engage with people. And for some people, and our research has shown 60% of people that responded to our surveys over the last two years would prefer to do initial engagement in an online setting. So if you're making a decision that your service is only face-to-face or only phone-based, you are immediately providing a service in the way that does not align with the preferences of 60% of the population. So you need to think about it in that way as well. And so it's not one or the other. It's actually that you need to be running your services with a multi-channel approach. And that's fundamentally what human-centred design is about. And so the work we've done at Justice Connect is not just about technology. More than anything, it's about listening to people and adapting our services and shaping our services so that we're meeting those people where they want to be, so that we're understanding their preferences and tailoring our services in line with those preferences. So you mentioned COVID-19 and obviously before COVID arrived. Is the Gateway Project evolving to reflect those changing circumstances our communities are dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a very challenging time and I wouldn't... It has shown, this time has shown the value of the products that we produced in the Gateway Project, although I want to be very clear in saying I wish that none of this had happened. Mm. But in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, there have been some interesting 
findings um, and applications of the products that we created in the Gateway Project. So the three key products were our intake tool and then a system that helps those in the sectors that we're working with, so housing workers, social workers, hospital workers, other lawyers, that helps them send people to Justice Connect knowing that there's a high chance that we will assist them and that helping them to make what we call a facilitated referral, which means they are passing across the information with that person's consent, they're passing across documents, so we can really hit the ground running with that file. And that has been a really interesting tool um, in particular in this disaster setting. And the third product that we created is our pro bono portal. This is probably the product that has had the most attention. And this product is about helping Justice Connect work more effectively and more efficiently with our pro bono network. So we work with 10,000 pro bono lawyers across Australia. And the way we used to do this work was we kept spreadsheets about which firms would like to do which types of work. And when we were trying to match someone up with a pro bono lawyer, we were essentially sending a bunch of emails and making a bunch of phone calls, which is ultimately not very efficient. So we built this platform which leverages some of the best technology that we have at our disposal now, which allows us to do algorithmic matching to keep data really up to date, to streamline this process of matching people up with these lawyers. And so in a COVID setting, each of those three products has had a really important role to play. So we've talked a lot about the online intake tool, but we've seen traffic to that increase significantly, both because of the bushfires and COVID-19. Traffic to our website overall since January has doubled. We already had quite a lot of website traffic, so the fact that it has doubled is quite extraordinary and I think speaks to this demand, both a general underlying demand for assistance, but also a specific interest in finding a service online in a COVID-19 world. Now, the advent of the COVID pandemic has clearly complicated a lot of people's lives and it's had direct consequences for the legal system, waiting lists in courts, just one example, and demand for assistance from renters. How do you see that pandemic situation playing out in relation to what you're offering here with this particular project? As to the courts, that's something that we have very little control over. So yes. we just have yeah, to absolutely. roll with yeah. what's yeah. happening there. And, you know, certain courts are still holding hearings in person. Some courts are doing it by Zoom and some have deferred certain types of hearings until they're open again in person. But in terms of this demand for assistance and the provision of the assistance, it's interesting, a lot of the legal assistance that we provide at Justice Connect is actually not contingent on going to a court. Sometimes it is, but often the help that someone is seeking is it's help negotiating, it's help writing a letter, it's help preparing documentation, which we don't rely on a court for. And so that type of legal assistance we can do in a COVID setting absolutely fine. And to your question around how are we actually scaling up, given this increased mm. demand, there's a few different tools that we're using. So we are running all of our services as we usually would, but where we would see someone in person, 
we are now having a phone call with them or a video chat where that's possible. But we're also looking at some strategies to provide a lighter level of assistance to more people. So using web applications to help people draft a letter, to help people do their own documentation with guidance from our smart systems. So we have a letter writer, for example, which has been accessed thousands of times by Victorians that helps them write a letter to their landlord. So there are, there's definitely ways that we can provide a scaled up service that leverage those tools. Another area where we can really ramp up our scale is in referral to pro bono. So at the same time as we have increasing community demand for assistance, and that's both individuals and community organisations, we also have a lot of pro bono lawyers who are lawyers at law firms who are less busy perhaps than they would usually be. So they have a strong appetite to be doing more pro bono work right now. And so what our pro bono portal lets us do is match up that demand with that capacity. And so interestingly, we have made since January 50% more pro bono referrals than in the period prior. So wow. that's a very significant increase. And it is because we have the pro bono portal in place that we were able to do that ramp up. It, we have exactly the same number of staff working on pro bono referrals as we always have, but we have been able to increase our output by 50%. Obviously, on the other side, it's showing that we have really goodwill from firms and the firms are stepping up because there's work on their end to engage with us. But it is showing that it's, I think it's, it's a, a really great illustration of the power of technology systems to let you do that scale up work where you can take the same number of people but actually increase your output and your impact using those tools. One of the things you and I have spoken about previously is the particular pandemic and it would also be true of the bushfires I'd imagine is that it's actually brought people who would have had very limited exposure to the legal system requiring legal advice or at least some support and information. So these kinds of services become increasingly important in this kind of environment. Absolutely. And we're seeing an interesting cohort that's emerging and it's very much the cohort that is engaging with our digital product. People who were already vulnerable when bushfires happen or COVID-19 happens, their vulnerability and the issues that they're grappling with are exacerbated. So that is one client cohort that's really significantly affected by the pandemic and the bushfires. But we also have this emergent cohort. So these are people that we've perhaps never engaged with before, or as you say, may have never engaged with a charity or a social services provider or a free legal service who up until now have had reasonably stable employment. They may have been on the edge of vulnerability, but they have been getting along okay in life. And the bushfires or the pandemic has been the thing that has tipped them into being much more vulnerable. So it's this at-risk cohort. And when a disaster occurs, they are most vulnerable to moving from getting along okay to really struggling. We're particularly interested in that cohort because when they haven't engaged with services before, they're perhaps less familiar with how the free service ecosystem works. And we worry that a lot of these people don't know that they might actually be eligible for free help from Justice Connect, but also from a range of other services. So it's really important for us to try and find this cohort. Um, and often we can do that online, not always, but there is a certain group of them that are online looking 
but we need to meet them where they are. We need to find them and explain to them the types of services that are available to them and that we can assist them. The legal issues that they're experiencing are real problems and there are actually often some solutions to them as well.